Oh, good morning. Great to uh, have you here and uh, to all the visitors with us this morning. A very warm and a special welcome to each of you. Let's pray. What a joy it is, Father, when your people are united together in love. And I pray this morning that as we delve into this issue of gospel unity within a radical diversity, I pray that your Spirit would work in each of us. I pray that we would hear your word, we would hear your voice, and that you would send us back to your Scriptures over and over to see if what is preached and taught is the truth. I pray that you'll give attentive ears and hearts and minds now as we come to this important subject in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a title for you. Make sure my clicker's working right. Gospel unity in radical diversity. Gospel unity in radical diversity. If you've got your Bible or device open, have a look at those words in Ephesians 4 verse 4 again. The Apostle Paul writes, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. All Christians, all true Christians unite around verses 4 to 6. Watch the text. There is one God, the Father, verse 6. The Lord Jesus, verse 5. The Holy Spirit, verse 4. There is one gospel which is called the faith in verse 5. One Holy Spirit baptism when you put your faith in Jesus, verse 5. And there is one church. All believers are united to the body of Christ by His Spirit, in verse 4. This is our unity. This is what we've just sung. This is what the creeds over, over decades, over centuries have formulated for us. Which means that this verse in verse 3 might seem a little strange because Paul says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep this unity. Now it might seem strange because that might just seem like a very easy thing to do, right? I mean, all true Christians unite around the one true gospel. I've called it the one God gospel. All Christians unite around the one God gospel. But, but here's the thing. There is one God gospel, but there, 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 there is more than one position in all those things I've just listed for you. There is more than one position in end times. There's more than one position in external baptisms. More than one position in church governments, more than one position in the role of woman in the church and the home. There is more than one position on, on the role of human will in the, in the area of salvation. There is more than one view on the issue of creation days. There is more than one view on the issue of divorce and remarriage. There is one God 
one gospel through whom God saves his people, but in just about everything else there seems to be more than one. Which is one of the reasons why Paul says to us that we need to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But that is tremendously challenging. And so this morning I want to answer this question. How do we maintain unity in the midst of radical theological diversity among Christians? How do we maintain unity in the midst of radical theological diversity among Christians? And the reason why this is so important to understand is because how we answer this question is going to radically shape our lives together. It's going to determine our attitudes to one another, our attitude to other Christians in other churches and other denominations. It's going to impact how we disciple one another. And especially as we disciple those whom God is saving and adding to his church. And I want to be upfront with you this morning and I want to say to you that I have not always handled this subject in a God-honoring way, and I don't think I've always handled this subject in a way that honors God's people. I believe in the past there has been a spiritual pride in my heart in the way that this issue is handled. As your pastor this morning who has the responsibility of shaping the teaching ministry of this church, I do not think that I've always served you well in this way. It's important for you to know that this sermon is not a preparation for any change in doctrine or, 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 or position this church has. The very purpose of this message is to help us relate, I hope, in a godly way to brothers and sisters in Christ who have a different position to us in the non-core, the non-gospel, and the non-salvation areas of the Christian faith. I'm pretty sure that after I'm done, I'm sure there are going to be questions. I'm sure that you're going to have some reservations about what I'm bringing to you today. And I want to say to you, that's okay. I do want us to be like the noble Bereans who search the Scriptures to see if what is being said is of the Lord or not. If I could put this sort of tension of Christian unity amongst the diversity like this. I hope, you can, I hope you can see that. You can see there in the middle there is, there, is the, there is the one gospel. But there are many end times and many views of human world and many views on women leadership roles, creation days, many views of church government, many external baptisms and so on and so on. Now here's the thing. All true Christians, we say that we stand on the authority of Scripture. But our interpretation of Scripture in these theological areas are radically diverse. We all stand on the authority of Scripture. But our interpretation has led many Christians to many differing positions. So let me give you some examples of this radical diversity. Let me start with the diversity within Christians of infant baptism versus believer's baptism. 
we had the Reformation sort of service last week, and the, the reformers, for example, like Martin Luther, John Calvin, and others, they held very strongly to infant baptism. It is a position that is held strongly today by Anglicans, Presbyterians, Christian Reformed. Some of you here today hold to a position of infant baptism. There are others, and I call them the heavyweights, the John Pipers, the John MacArthur's, for example, that believe that baptism is by full immersion as a believer, and that's the only legitimate means of baptism. We actually reflect both of those positions in our constitution. There's a second one, premillennial end times and amillennial end times. John MacArthur, for example, of Grace Community Church, and I use him because he's a well-known preacher of, of great influence in the world today. John MacArthur has a premillennial end times theology. He believes, therefore, that the church will be raptured, will be followed by a seven-year tribulation, followed by a thousand-year literal reign on the earth, and then the end will come. Many churches hold that position. Some of you here may hold that position. A millennial held by people like Vody Bockham means that Jesus could come back at any time and that would be Judgment Day and that would be the start of the new heavens and the new earth. Many churches hold a millennial position. This church does. It's my own current position. But then there's the differences in creation days. There are a number of views held by Christians. I'll give you three of the most popular John MacArthur, Vody Bockham hold that God created the earth in six consecutive 24-hour periods. Some of you would hold that. John Lennox, a, an Australian mathematician, scientist, theologian, he proposes something called intermittent days, where the days were 24-hour periods, but each of the days were separated by long epochs. And then there is the view by a guy called Sailhammer, who influenced John Piper very strongly, which basically states that the world was prepared for man, land was prepared for man, and the length of days and how long God took to create is not that important. Then there's the roles of women in church and home. When it comes to this particular issue, there are two two, two Ish, uh, two, two positions, broadly speaking, and, and the first one is complementarianism. Complementarianism holds that men and women are completely equal in value, worth, and the image of God, but they have differing roles within the church and home based on gender, which means that women would not be able to hold certain positions of leadership teaching in the church. Some of the heavyweights in this category, Wayne Grudem, John Piper, John MacArthur, Vody Bockham, but there are also Australian women like Claire Smith, Claire Dees, and Danny Trevec, all women that I know and I've met. Within, but even within this complementarian camp, there's a lot of diversity as to how that position is actually practiced. The second broad one is egalitarianism, and, and the new word, and it's a nice word, is mutualism. Egalitarians hold that the scripture teaches that all roles within the church and home are open to women based on character and giftedness. Within mutualism, gender is not a criteria. Some of the heavyweights here, Rick Warren, Gordon McPhee, Scott McKnight, Howard Marshall, Michael Bird, 
woman like Alison Barr. Here's the thing. These men and women all stand on the authority of Scripture. They've studied the Scriptures. They've interpreted the Scriptures, but they have landed in very different positions to one another. And so the question is, how do we handle this radical diversity? I want to suggest to you, generally speaking, that it's usually handled quite badly. See, as we look at this issue of diversity, Christians on both sides, they, here's the issue, Christians on both sides believe that they have a biblically defensible position. Right? Stand on the authority, but both sides believe they stand on a biblically defensible interpretation. But what usually happens, sometimes happens, can happen, the default position goes, well, my interpretation is right, therefore, yours is? Yours is wrong. But then it can even go deeper. Sometimes said, sometimes not said, that if my position is right and your position is wrong, well, then maybe you're just not quite as mature as me. Or maybe... I mean, you just don't quite know how to interpret the Scriptures like I do. Or, you know what, I don't think you're being faithful to the Scriptures. And in some cases, Christians think that someone else that has a different view to them on these things are either sinful or liberal. Now, I cannot speak for you this morning. And I do not want to presume how you think about this diversity. But let me speak for me. I started here as your pastor nine years and 11 months ago, nearly 10 years ago now. Not all bad. I came in here, though, nearly 10 years ago, and I came in pretty hot-headed and heavy-handed on the secondary issues. I confess to you that I believe that if you are not a six-day creationist, you are undermining the Scriptures. I believe if you're not complementarian, you are undermining the authority of Scripture. I believe if you were primal, you really didn't understand the Scriptures. And if you were Arminian or are Arminian, well, let's not go any further. I'm in a place this morning where I stand before you, and I believe that that attitude was wrong. I believe it was dishonoring to the Lord and dishonoring to His people. I believe it was the evidence of pride and arrogance. I didn't think I was arrogant at the time because I thought I was right. Because I was right and others were wrong, but the Lord has somewhat humbled me and brought me to a different place. And I do hope that this will be of great benefit to you and to us as a church going forward. A little while ago, uh, the chairman of an independent network of churches which holds a complementarian view of women, women roles restricted, this, this, this chairman of the network, he said to me, if a church applied to be part of the network but they were egalitarian, they would not be accepted into the network even though they hold to the gospel and even though women's issue is not a core gospel matter. 
And I share that with you this morning to illustrate the point of how Christians can view each other on different sides of these theologically convictional areas. You see, that chairman believes that his interpretation of the Bible in that view is the only authoritative view, and those that are not complementarian are not standing on the authority of Scripture and would divide over it. And I was, I was there not so long ago. It's so easy in these areas to actually judge one another, to think we must have the right position. But often we've never truly taken the time to investigate the position that another Christian holds. So that's handling diversity, Baddie. Is there a better way? I believe there is. The better way, though, the better way is not just tolerating the other position. The better way is not thinking you're right and they're wrong. The better way is not thinking that they're unfaithful to Scripture and somehow they become liberal. It's also not saying all the positions are right. I mean, that cannot be, can it? It cannot be. I mean, Amal and Primal are so diverse from one another. They're either both wrong but they can't both be right. Handling, handling it better is also not, wherever possible, not breaking fellowship over these issues. So let me give you my statement. We maintain the unity in radical diversity by holding to the one God gospel but accepting that God has allowed Christians to arrive at very different places in non-salvation issues based on differing interpretation. Let me just read it again slowly. We maintain the unity in radical diversity by holding to the one God gospel, by accepting that God has allowed Christians to arrive at very different places in non Salvation issues based on differing interpretation. You see, if two Christians have studied the same non-salvational issues and they arrive at very different points, what must we conclude? The answer is profound and has been life-changing for me. The Lord has allowed these differing positions based on differing interpretation of Scripture. Now, if this is true, and I'm asking you to go back and search the Scriptures on this one, but if this is true, the implications and the applications are far-reaching, radically changing, and I want to spend the rest of our minutes together exploring what that looks like. What then would this unity diversity application look like? Let me start here with the personal. I want to say to you this morning for me personally, BBC, 
that I'm deeply sorry for my arrogance and my pride in these matters. I want you to forgive me for being zealously heavy-handed. And I know to my grief that there have been people that have been hurt along the way because of it. And I also know that there have been certain people who have left this church because of my heavy-handedness. I ask you to forgive me. And if I've heard you here this morning, then I'm truly sorry. And I ask you to forgive me. And I am, I have and am seeking to seek forgiveness from the people that I've heard. Secondly, though, we do need to grip the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. And the faith is the faith. And it's the gospel to which Christians hold dear. And we have to grip the gospel with dear life. The gospel is not open to different interpretations. The gospel is not open to different interpretations. Scripture I showed you last week in Galatians chapter 1 in terms of the Reformation, which was really a spark for the Reformation, but it's so pertinent. Let me show it to you again. Galatians 1 verse 8 and 9, where Paul writes to the church, he says, but even, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Just go back to our passage for a moment in Ephesians 4. Just listen to these words. It's, it's the same as Galatians 1, just in a slightly different way. Packed a little bit differently. There is one body, one spirit, as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. I'll put it to you like this. If we, if we deny or change the gospel once for all delivered to the saints, then we are denying Scripture. Then we're denying the authority of Scripture. Then we're denying God. So let me just illustrate that for you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if you say, for example, you can be saved by Jesus, but, uh, uh, but, but add to his work, you're saved by Jesus by faith, but then you add something to his work. If you do that, then you're denying the authority of Scripture. Then you're denying the gospel. Then you're denying God. Have a look at this one when it comes to, to, to the clear teaching of who Jesus is. In 1 John chapter 4, John says, this is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. <clears throat> now, in the immediate context, what John is saying, in, in that context, that there were people saying that Jesus was divine. But there's no ways, therefore, he could become fully human. 
And John says that's the spirit of Antichrist. That's a denial of the gospel, denial of the truth, denial of the faith. But the reverse is also true. If you say that Jesus Christ is fully human, but you say that he's not divine in nature, then you've also denied the authority of Scripture. You've denied the nature of God. You've denied God himself. You've denied the gospel. You see, the gospel is what we've got to grip. And the gospel is the hill that we die on. In the words of the Reformation, here we stand. Here we stand. What are the implications, the applications for church? Some of you here might be thinking, well, I only believe what I believe in those secondary issues because that's what my pastor has taught me. I only believe what I believe because I've sat under a pastor's teaching and, and that may be true for you and it may be true for many of you. And again, so what happens is that some Bible teachers, they study the Scriptures, they arrive at one position and they teach that to their people. Another pastor studies the same stuff, interprets it and arrives in a different position and they, 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 they teach it to their people as truth. Both hold to the gospel, both standing on the authority of Scripture, but God has allowed them to move to very different positions in these non-core issues. Now what that means, I believe, is that Bible teachers like myself should teach God's people the different views. I believe that I should be able to show you how, what the positions are and how people get to their positions and allow you to work through them. And I hope, I hope that this is something that we'd be able to do in my next few years, few years here. That in an appropriate setting, and I'm not a, it's not an appropriate in a Sunday morning setting, but in an appropriate setting to be able to look at the diverse views, to look at them, to study them, to understand them, to grapple with them with integrity, and to understand I know as I say this this morning, there will be some of you here that are, are really not sure that another position actually has a biblically defensible position. And I understand that. Because you've never seen the other side or never studied the other side. And I believe it should be my role to show that to you, at least open it up for you so that you can investigate. This is not something that I've done, and certainly not something I've done well over the last 10 years. Now, please don't hear me say this morning that it doesn't matter what we believe in these non-salvation issues. It matters deeply. And we are to be a people that are searching the Scriptures and asking the Spirit to lead us to the positions that He wants of us. We should be men and women of unwavering gospel conviction. And we have the freedom to then work out what we believe in these other things. Every church does that, including BBC. Every church works that out and then they frame that. They, they frame that in the Constitution. They, they, they frame that in statements of faith. They frame that in positional papers. Churches need to be very clear on where they stand. But it does mean that we need to have an incredible amount, an incredible dose of humility. 
I believe that it's pride and arrogance to presume that the Lord has led us to the one and only scriptural position on non-salvation issues. God has deliberately allowed His people to differing positions so we can learn to love one another and for us to remember that we are not, we are not the fount of all wisdom and knowledge. So that's what unity in radical diversity looks like. It's an unwavering commitment, an unwavering gripping of the gospel. But in all the other issues, there is a, there is a generous open-handedness in humility. But what I think this also means is that when churches and God's people get about searching the Scriptures... God's people may actually decide to change their position on something. Now, please just hear me again. There's no agenda here. There's no agenda here for any change in this church. But what I'm saying is that if there is a diversity in non-gospel areas, it certainly opens the possibility for change, doesn't it? When Christians looking at other views may change their view. It's okay. It's okay. So let me put it like this to you. Just for example, so just bear with me, the, uh, the categories are sort of a blended mix. You'll understand. If, for example, you are sitting here today, if you were to be a six-day creationist, Calvinistic, complementarian, fully immersion, Baptist believer, congregational governor, then my encouragement to you from the Word of God would be to love, respect, and honor your brother or sister who may, for example, be a long-earth, Arminian, egalitarian, baby bapo who prefers an elder-led church. When you're talking to other Christians who have differing views, I want to encourage you, ask before making a call, before making a judgment, also, how did, they, how did they come to their conviction? How did they get to where they, where they stand? Don't fight to change them. Learn to understand and love them. Please take time to listen to how a person came to their position. And I want to encourage you to, to reconsider calling someone sinful if they have a differing gospel, non-gospel position to you. But if you are part of a church or want to be part of a church where the gospel is loved, cherished, and preached faithfully, but this church differs on some issues to you, what do you do? As far as it is possible with you, you maintain the, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Embrace Live with, accept, but, but, maybe you can't. Maybe you just can't. And I say to you then, you need to be gracious to find a spiritual home or another spiritual home, but not to pull down the church from which you are leaving. Just a couple of minutes, I'm going to invite you to 
join around the Lord's table with me. And I think it's an appropriate place for us to finish this morning. But just before we get there, I want to apply it to two, just very quickly and very simply, to two areas where the Bible does not speak directly or did not speak directly. So let me just touch on these. The first one, do you remember COVID? Have you forgotten? There are some people here today that are not here because they've got COVID. But do you remember the issue, to jab or to? Not to jab, that famous sermon. But do you remember in COVID, I don't know if you experienced this, do you remember though at times there were Christians on either side they just thought they were so right, eh? So right that you did, or so right that you didn't. And I, I, I witnessed firsthand, personally, how, how angry Christians got, how ugly it got at times, and Christians left their churches over this issue. You realize there are no vax passages in the Bible. But what's happened is, based on a differing, interpretation of Scripture in a non-gospel area, what's happened? They've arrived at two different positions. Both sides said they stood on the authority of Scripture, but both sides, based on interpretation, arrived in a different place. We are not to fight over these issues. But in a spirit of grace, humility, kindness, we are to respect and honor the Christian who has a different view to you. One more. Do you remember the referendum? You probably remember there, and there still are, some very passionate differing views among Christians. Some very strong yes, some very strong no. Some Christians just didn't really know how to vote. I hope you realize there are no indigenous voice passages in the Bible. In some Christian circles, though, in some Christian circles, some views were so strongly expressed as if to suggest there was only one way a Christian could vote. In God's providence, some voted yes and some voted no. Some didn't know what to vote, so they flicked the coin. Heads, yes. Tails, no. Some got a fine because they didn't vote. I will tell you this. There was an animosity at times among some Christians to other Christians who had a differing view. So I want to just put this life-changing statement, at least for me before you this morning. God unites His people in one gospel in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But in all non-salvation areas, God allows His people to arrive at differing positions. As you look at that, again, I know there'll be some questions. I know that you might even want to have some clarification. I know that for some of you sitting here this morning, what I said is be really hard for you to hear for different reasons at different levels. I get that. I get that. This has been a long journey for me. Ministry, 23 years. 10 years with you. 
It's been a long journey. I hope we can talk. I hope we can share. I hope we can grapple. I hope we can debate. But I pray, dear God, that we would do it in a spirit of humility and deep love for one another.